All right, good evening, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Mavs Film Room Podcast. We come to you tonight at around 10.15 p.m. Central Time on Tuesday, November 17th. It is the night before the 2020 NBA Draft. It took longer than we expected, but nonetheless, we're almost there. I'm joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Rohan and Fazel. Hey, what's up? Illustrious, illustrious, most legendary in the game. Yes, sir. All right, Obama. <laughs> uh, let me be clear. Uh, Luka Doncic is better than Michael Jordan. Trump just signed an executive order that says Michael Jordan is better than Luka Doncic. <laughs> politics. We politics. We did not come here to talk about politics. In fact, we came here to talk about the NBA draft and specifically the Mavs transaction potential surrounding the NBA draft. Yeah, the Mavs haven't done much, have they, guys? And it's kind of been depressing everyone on Twitter. I mean, you know, raise your hand if you totally saw this coming, because I did. But you know what? In the (laughs) Mavs' defense, and, you know, I want to be clear, I'm not being paid by the Mavs to say this, but in their defense, I think given the condensed nature of this offseason, the types of deals that needed to go down, like the Chris Paul trade, and then, of course, the, the few deals that went down with Drew Holiday and Bogdan Bogdanovich and Robert Covington. I think certain teams like the Mavericks are sort of waiting to get a sense of where things stand on the NBA front with teams who have already made deals and what the fallout from that is. Especially when you consider the Mavs can really only trade their first round pick during the draft, given the rules that surround trading first round picks. They're not allowed to trade it until that point. And actually, the Mavericks will not be able to trade a first-round pick prior to the draft until the year 2027. So, guys, we'll be 30 years old <laughs> the next time the Mavs can trade a first-round pick prior to the draft. Yeah! Next decade of dominance, baby! Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so... Obviously, none of us are Mavs draft himself. None of us are the illustrious Richie Stamen, but... I think we have a good idea through osmosis of who Mavs fans really want. And I think the number one guy has to be Desmond Bain, right? At least that's what it looks like on Twitter, yes. Yeah, I think Bain makes a ton of sense um, when you consider the fact that he's a four-year player in college, so he's a guy who's like more or less a finished product at this point. But when you watch his film, he definitely strikes you as a guy who has a very good feel for the game, you know, has a very solid jump shot, which is always valuable, especially for a team like the Mavericks, um, and one who has an NBA-ready body. So he's not really a guy that, you know, we've seen the Mavs draft in the past where it's like a two- or three-year project that they usually never see through. Like this is not is a, a Justin Anderson situation, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, you know, funny that you mentioned Justin Anderson. I think Desmond Bain really reminds me of what the Mavs envisioned Justin Anderson becoming, but yeah. uh, clearly never did. It really comes down to the versatility. I think it's very rare to see somebody like Desmond Bain in the late first round that it has that much of an upside. Yeah, I definitely think that if Bain was younger and was producing at this level, I think he would, he would without a doubt be a lottery pick. Right, but the Mavs obviously having a great core already intact really just need somebody who can be a role player or more. And for that reason, I guess Desmond Bain's upside does give him, although he has a lower ceiling than a lot of the top guys, his upside and his uh, higher floor 
a lot of positives in playing next to a guy like Luca, who's already a high basketball IQ, was playing pro already. I think he's not going to miss a step. And mm-hmm. I guess in terms of character, I can understand why the Mavs front office might prioritize him. Yeah, you know, he's a, he's a guy who, like, like we said, you know, is, is sort of already a finished product. But the upside to that is he can step in from day one and be, you know, a guy who plays like 20 minutes per game in this rotation. And I think it's important to understand that, yes, Bain is 22 years old. He's not 19 or 20 like some of the top guys are. But the Mavs aren't drafting right now to get the next face of the franchise. Like, they're drafting to get a role player who can step in and contribute and the main advantages of that is it's a guy who who is on a team-friendly contract for the next four years. And and Bain is certainly a great player and fits that mold. Yeah. It also helps with the cap because obviously the Mavs are working mostly with the MLE right now. And we've already seen and we talked about in the last episode about the Jalen Brunson archetype. The players that play all four years have a high basketball, IQ, high motor. The Mavs really like those guys. Right. Good thing you mentioned Jalen because I was about to say... Yeah, Desmond Bain is going to be closer to Jalen Brunson than he will be to Justin Anderson. Although, it's fair to know that Justin Anderson did play three seasons of college ball himself, and so did Jalen Brunson. But whatever it was, maybe it was just getting drafted to a shitty team and not being quite as good as anticipated. Justin Anderson's level of play obviously didn't live up to what we thought he would be, for the Mavs at least. Yeah. He was definitely a raw prospect. I I remember in the early days of this production when I was writing those breakdowns. And when I go back to it, I can see the flaws. There are obviously holes in Desmond Bain's game, but I think it goes back to exactly what Jay was saying. and I think we all agree on it. You don't need a perfect five-star blue chip prospect. Yeah, I mean, when you think about what the Mavs were when they drafted Justin Anderson versus what the Mavs are right now going into this draft, to worlds apart you know i think with justin anderson the mavs were looking for a guy that okay could he be part of you know the youth movement that they were trying to start in the twilight years of Dirk's career now they're literally trying to use the 18th pig whether through the draft or the trade to actively improve their supporting cast in anticipation for the fact that luca is going to be signing a huge extension here in the next couple of years and their window for improving it is now because once that extension is signed, their flexibility gets limited right. you know, a lot. So I know Desmond Bain is a pretty popular name uh, when it comes to the Mavericks on Mavs Twitter. Seems like, you know, just the combination of him being a DFW guy and the fact that he's such a fluid athlete already, it, it almost makes too much sense to pick Desmond Bain at 18. But there's a few other guys in the mix there, whether it's at 18 or potentially reaching and trading up. But there's another one that I want to talk about that seems like he'll be available. He's also pretty popular pick in some of the mock drafts that I've seen. And that's Josh Green, who is a forward out of Arizona. He's a freshman. Josh Green, I know that there was some conversations about whether he would be in next year's draft class or this year's. Him being in this year's draft class does definitely mean that he's a guy with at least some upside and some serious upside. But that being said, there are definite holes in his game, and that's why we talked about him after Desmond Bain. Fossil, what do you know about his weaknesses? From what I've heard, he's a pretty solid offensive player, at least in terms of his potential. He has some holes on that end as well. Yeah, probably the biggest hole in his game is his ball handling that I suppose, speaks to his limited creation ability. 
I think that's like one of the biggest legs up that Bain has on a guy like Josh Green is just the ability to create because like we know from watching the Mavs this past season that creators is something that they are looking to add to the roster. And yeah. while it is pretty attractive to see a guy like Josh Green who's only like 20 years old or 19 years old and possesses a fairly solid three-point shot and has got good length and really jumps off the page at you as, as a guy who you could pick who has like a ton of upside. But on the flip side, you think about it, like what if he doesn't quite pan out the way that we expect? Because going back to Justin Anderson, I think one of the big reasons that he was available and was picked as high as he was, I think the mass of the 15th pick or so that year, yeah. he made a huge leap in his three-point shooting from his sophomore year to his junior year. And a lot of people were thinking like, well, was that a fluke or not? And turns out it was a fluke and he just couldn't, couldn't shoot the NBA. So while obviously Josh Green is a freshman, this sample size that we're seeing from him, how reliable is it? The questions still remain. That's fair. I think the thing that we have to as Mavs fans kind of understand is that Josh Green may be a guy that is being drafted a little too high at 18. But there's a definite possibility that the Mavericks don't stick with the 18th pick. And we'll talk about that more once we get through the prospects themselves. And in that case, I think if they specifically move down, he's a good choice. That also being said, I don't think you need necessarily a creator with that pick. But that being said, if Josh Green falls and he's a guy that you can get closer to 31 or the end of the first round, I would say... There's very little downside to it because next to Luca, if his shot is working or if it's at least serviceable, the spacing may take care of itself. I mean, that's really what the system is, is built towards. So in terms of the fit, I'm not necessarily concerned, but definitely in terms of that floor and ceiling, I don't think it's comparable to Bain at the very least. Definitely none of the more blockbuster guys that the Mavs might trade up to get even. Yeah, let's talk about a few of those guys. So a few names that jump off uh, jump off the board immediately. Sadiq Bey, as well as Devin Vassell. Right. I think we can all agree that they are probably out of reach um, of the Mavs unless they want to give up some assets to trade up. But I think it's still worth talking about them because they do, you know, fit the mold of a player that the Mavs do need. Yeah. Obviously, my question comes down to, who who do you think even gets us a pick that lands us Sadiq Bay? Like, I'm not confident about that. And yeah, you can say OKC, but I mean, it's even a stretch whether he's going to be there at like 15, right? I think the issue oh. with this draft is there's a lot of guys, I think, from the end of the lottery down to like 20 that could honestly be picked anywhere in that range. Right. So this is the deal that Mavs draft said. He has, and a lot of other draft experts, have never seen a draft where the ceilings and floors of where a player can get picked in this draft have been so wildly inconsistent. Apart from the top five, maybe ten, really five, uh, prospects who are most commonly put up in the top five, yeah. like LaMelo Ball, Anthony Edwards, Wiseman, those types of guys. Obi Toppin, yeah. Obi Toppin, right. You, you can have a player that's projected anywhere from number five, number six, all the way to out of the draft. Yeah. So it's just it's just tough. If you want a specific player in mind, instead of saying, hey, we should go after whoever the hell falls to us, that's when you trade up. That's when you should trade up. And to get Sadiq Bey, I'd say a pretty good 
way to do that would be perhaps to trade with Phoenix, who possesses pick number 10 still after the Chris Paul trade. And we have 18, we have 31. We could package both of those and another player such as DeLon Wright or Dwight Powell. I don't know about Dwight, but DeLon specifically because he would be a good backup to Chris Paul and the Suns are a little weak in terms of their guard depth after Paul, Booker, and then Mikhail Bridges, who mostly will play three anyway. Right. So to get Sadiq Bey right, you'd probably want something along the lines of 18, 31, DeLon Wright for number 10, and I don't know, something else. And with Phoenix's situation, now that they just landed Chris Paul, I have a feeling they don't really care so much about where their pick is going to end up if they decide to deal it, because now they just have a wealth of options. Right. And I, I do think there's significantly more upside to only going up to 10. On last episode, I did discuss how if they're going to trade up all the way to the top and if they're trying to break into like the top of the lottery, I do think the guy that they're trying to get is Obi Toppin because he's, he's the real mix between that high upside guy and the guy that can immediately be a role player. And I feel like he fits in the depth chart. But that being said, I do think for the dynasty building vision of this team, Sadiq Bey and Desmond Bain specifically fit better. But a move for Sadiq Bey would in my mind, have to take Dwight Powell. Like, I, I don't see how that wouldn't take Dwight Powell. Yeah. Because I think the guy... Haven't the Suns lost Aaron Baines or whoever? Like, they don't have him on the roster. Well, right? He's a free he's agent. He's a free agent. Yeah. He's a free agent. So I, think, cool. I think certain people are expecting them to lose him this offseason, but it's still unclear as to what will happen. But yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I, I do think if, we, if the Mavs do want to get up to, like, say, pick number 10 with the Suns, it is going to cost them, and... To Fazel's point, he did mention DeLon Wright. I think it might cost a guy like Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson, on yeah. the note of you know Mavs trade assets, is probably like the biggest wild card right now. Yeah. Um, because you know Brunson is one of their younger guys. He was on, he was picked the same year as Luca, uh, and I think he's still kind of a wild card. Like even as to how he fits on the roster, given that he missed so much time with uh, with the shoulder injury last year. So. I do wonder what his value is in the trade market and if it could help the Mavs move up in the draft or land a better player because he qualifies as quote-unquote young talent. I, I actually agree with you there. I think he actually has a decent amount of value for the Mavs. And I think primarily that's because any any point guard that can exist in Rick Carlisle's system, I think other GMs in the league are going to look at that and be like, hey, that, that's a pedigree right there. That's a pedigree that matters. A young guy's coachable i mean that's just something that you don't necessarily see all that often so yeah he's certainly a good player um and i think if he can get the consistent reps we'll, we'll really get to see how you know what kind of player he will I, be going i through. definitely see him as more of like a shabazz napier type brunson like yeah if the mavs trade him he could very well end up being like a journeyman and i think he could succeed in that quite honestly yeah he's kind of an old school point guard that I think his ceiling is being like a floor general for a bench unit of some team. I don't think he would ever become like a consistent starter. Yeah. The point is Jalen Brunson is a wild card to both the Mavs plans next season, as well as their desire to upgrade their roster right now. Right. Now that we've talked about Obi Toppin as well, I think the last guy that, that we can talk about, I'd rather Fossil just talk about because he brought him up on the last episode. That would be Alexei Pokashevsky, who is definitely one of the highest upside prospects in the draft, one of the youngest, if not the youngest. 
and he is described as sort of a unicorn type of player in the mold of Kristaps and so many other, well, not so many other, but, you know, just the sort of big man unicorn player who can create for others, who can shoot out to the three-point line. You've never seen a stampede (laughs) of unicorns before, Fossil? God, you're so unworldly and uncultured, my dude. Wait, so he's. I'm sorry, I'm not a fucking brony, Rohan. (laughs) Friendship (laughs) is magic, my friend. So, so he's like a seven foot shooter from Europe. Uh, In other words, the next Dirk Nowitzki. It could be. (laughs) I mean, but they say that about every single tall shooter from Europe. Okay. Or Ryan Kelly in some office. Andrea (laughs) Bargnani. Not that I think Pokushevsky is going to be Bargnani. Scouting has gotten much better than that. So is training. That being said, he's a guy that's available, I think, at 18, right? Do you think he's going to be gone by 31? By 31, absolutely. I think so. We should talk about 31 also. But, you know, on the note of Pokashevsky, I've seen him uh, picked in some mock drafts with the Mavs. I've read that they're interested in him, but just looking at the goals for this team, I don't think he fits in, given that they already have their own unicorn and Kristaps Porzingis. And I think he's a guy who will probably take a few years to develop. He's not someone who could step in right away and make an impact. That's true, but the Mavs, I think, can afford to take that. I think we should look at how the Warriors drafted when they were drafting Draymond and Harrison Barnes, right? That was like the end of a very long process for them. And even when they did that, they still had Steph's rookie contract and rookie scale to work with. Ultimately, being in the position where we have Luka and we know he's going to sign an extension... I'm very tired of hearing the Mavs constantly being like, oh, we need we need to swing for the fences this offseason or like keep ourselves ready to swing for the fences next off. Just make a good team. Just No, I, I agree. Team. I agree with that for sure. And, yeah. and give Luca pieces that that he can be confident are going to be good and with him for multiple years. That's all you need to do. And so if you're going to select Pokushevsky, you have to sign or trade for a wing. Because as soon as you draft him, you need a guy who can contribute right away from the wing spot. If you're going to draft a guy with a lot of upside but isn't necessarily there yet on the wing, then you're going to need to really go for a forward because Kristaps is playing the five now. The deal is is if you uh, select Pokushevsky, you might, since he's a project and all and a super young one who's one of the more raw players in the draft – you're probably going to flip him for something else. Yeah, that, that brings, brings me to like my other point is that personally, given, given the circumstances surrounding Pokashevsky and you know, his young age and generally the fact that he's going to need a few years to develop, I don't think the Mavs are looking to pick a guy like him. I could be totally wrong, but just trying reading the situation, that's what strikes to me is that if they do pick at 18, it's going to be a guy like Bain. Um, or Sadiq Bey, if he falls that low, someone who could step in from day one and, and, and play in the rotation. With Pogoshevsky, I, I have read that Oklahoma City is very, very hell-bent on selecting him due to his agent's ties with uh, Sam Presti, the GM of the Thunder. So sort of reading between the lines, it almost seems like the Thunder are a potential draft night trade partner for the Mavericks. Yeah. You know, the Thunder have a few guys like Kelly Oubre, Danny Green, Danilo Gallinari in a potential sign-in trade. So all, all wings and players of the Mavs have expressed interest in at one point or another. And on the flip side, the Thunder 
are looking to move into a spot where they could get a guy that they really want, that they believe can help be part of their core that they're looking to rebuild here in the next few years. 31, if there's a trade, will probably be packaged with 18. But if it isn't, who do you think the Mavs are going to pick? Yeah, I'm not too familiar with uh, with some of the second-round picks, as I'm not too familiar with the first-round picks either. Again, I'm not Mavs draft. But I think, <laughs> none of us are. Uh, <laughs> none of us are, yeah. He's a unique talent. And shout-out to Mavs draft for all the work he's put in towards the draft. Every year it seems like he's getting better, much like a draft pick. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but... Yeah, a guy that that that's um, that I've noticed that seems to have fallen out of the first round in some of the earlier mocks is Jamias Ramsey, who is a shooting guard, small forward from Texas Tech. Okay, there's a local connection. I mean, that's a big reason why I think people were aware of Desmond Bain, and also a big reason as to why he was such a good fit. So I think at 31, that could be comfortable, but I don't know much about him. Is he a low ceiling guy, like? Uh, yeah, I think he's medium floor, low ceiling type guy. Like, I think when you draft him, you're, you're going to more or less know he's only 21 years old. Uh, okay. Actually, no, sorry, he's 19 years old. So for a second round pick, that is kind of a steal when it comes to age. Usually second round picks are, you know, 21, yeah. Yeah, 21 to 23 year age. He's a, a plus three point shooter. You know, I think is a pretty solid athlete too. So you, you get a guy who has good defensive potential. But, you know, I think there's probably a reason that he's fallen into the second round from the first round, namely his inefficiency when it comes to shooting, his general, like, lack of efficiency as a player. I think he's a guy who is kind of a bull in that he takes, like, a, a lot of shots um, but isn't quite, you know, a knockdown shooter. So, But I feel like in the right role, he could succeed. Yeah, I, I also think that, there are going to be some people available in the second round in this draft that we were expecting to go significantly earlier with how Richie has been talking about this draft with what Fossil said earlier about how the ceilings and floors just being all crazy and wild, unlike anything we've ever seen before. I think it's very likely that we might even end up if the Mavs still have the pick getting, getting somebody that we didn't think would be there. What do you think, exists in terms of draft night moves for non-prospects so for example zach levine is somebody that we talked about in the last episode on monday and it's somebody that we love i we know mavs twitter dalton trigg shouts out to you thank you for keeping zach levine to dallas alive even when kenny's trying to troll us and say that he's gonna take the ball away from luca <laughs> I think I think he was he was yeah he was trolling. I don't think he was being serious. About no, Kenny that. was definitely trolling. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that there's a deal the Mavs can make for a guy of Levine's caliber, or do you think that's just like locked off at this point? It's possible. Um, you know, I don't want to say no because we have seen in the past the Mavs have surprised us with like how how little they gave up to get certain guys like Kristaps, for example. Right. You yeah, yeah, or even Luca for that matter. Like, yes, they had to sacrifice a first-round pick, but I mean, in retrospect, you make that deal ten well, times out of ten. That being said, with Noel and Kristoff, those are both guys that their teams didn't have a lot of leverage in that situation. Their value was going down, and 
so those trades were made out of a sense of urgency. So, for example, the Justin Anderson one for Noel. I mean, although we did get better talent as a team, there's a reason why Noel was there, right? And Kristaps wanted out of New York. I don't know if Zach wants out of Chicago like that. Yeah, I think I think definitely if Boylan was still the coach, I would 100% think that Levine would want out of Chicago given the issues that he had with, with Boylan as the coach. Of course, that's not the case now, so that's a little bit unclear. Uh, I think we talked about a little bit uh, yesterday on our phone call before the show, like, and even even in NBA circles, like, what Chicago is going to do is like one of the biggest mysteries right now. Like, who are they targeting in the draft? Are they planning a full scale rebuild, or do they sort of like what they have? I mean, we know they like guys like Markinen and Wendell Carter, right. but how does Levine fit into into those plans? That's unclear. And if they're more eager than not to to ship him off for like a full-scale rebuild, then I could see the Mavs swooping in with the 18th and 31 pick and maybe adding other guys. Like, of course, they would have to add a Hardaway and probably Jalen Brunson. Yeah. But I would think that's unlikely. So you're talking about guys on uh, Levine's tier. The only other guy who I could think of potentially would be Bradley Beal, but for a bunch of reasons, including this new news with Westbrook and Wall. John Wall maybe yeah. being traded for each other. I don't think a Beal deal is coming anytime soon, and I just spat out a nice bar. <laughs> Bars, baby. <laughs> yeah. Bars. The Mavs definitely don't have the ammo to do a deal for Beal. Right. That's a bar, That's a bar That's, for you right there. Going back to the Levine stuff, like I'm, I've just been letting it marinate in my head a little bit. The move that we saw the Bulls make is letting Chris Dunn become an unrestricted free agent, which it's not a huge loss, but they also did retain Denzel Valentine, which doesn't make sense to me. In my head, there's one world in which they are simply trying to rebuild and get as many assets for who they have right now. And so they're just trying to appreciate the value on guys like Markinen and Carter Jr. And Levine's value has already appreciated over this past season. Like he had a really great season. So if that's the case, I can see them trying to trade him for assets in the draft as well as some other players that could fit, especially with them not having Chris Dunn anymore. But that also being said, if there is some logic to what they're doing, other than just a fire sale. This could be a situation where they're trying to get rid of Chris Dunn because they have a glut at the guard position, which kind of makes sense, and that they keep Zach Levine because he is their best player and they want to sell tickets. You know, yeah, and I, yeah. I honestly, I think that's far more likely. Which, I, think, I, I think so too. That brings us to Buddy Heald. Buddy Heald, Kelly Oubre seem to be the two guys that I think are feasible to get from a draft day trade. I would add talked o- about Ubre with the Thunder, but yeah, I would add Oladipo into that mix too. Um, especially, I think um, Zach Lowe today on, on either a podcast or, or something of that nature said that Oladipo's trade value is basically zero right now. Like him and Westbrook oh, wow. have like zero trade value. So, you know, when you hear something like that, you know, I think we've all said that we're not huge fans of Oladipo, but if you have a chance to buy low on a talent like that, it might make sense. On the note of Buddy Heald, I think that was a lot more likely before they made the trade with the Bucks last night yeah. um, with Bogdan and Bogdanovich. I think now that clears up that Buddy Heald's spot. spot in the yeah. starting lineup. I just don't see that happening anymore. Yeah, it's it's right. really tough. There, 
there's one more name that I think should be mentioned because of all the news that's coming today. Uh, Gordon Hayward, he might be on his way out of Boston. It looks like it. There were already rumors brewing that he was apparently uh, going to maybe opt into his deal anyway because it's like fucking $30 million. Right. But he felt betrayed by the Celtics organization about his declining role, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But, you know, sometimes players are just irrational beings. I we're all human, they, right? He was sold when he and Kyrie came there. He was kind of sold on being with his college coach. Yeah. having a solid position there. And then they drafted Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. He's now he's locked out of the depth chart and coming back from an injury. Yeah, and let's also just not, not forget that his Boston Celtics tenure like started off on a very like inauspicious note with yeah. right. you know, the ankle injury. So it's just sort of been a cursed time in Boston for him. I'm, I, I'm sure he wants to get up. I'm all for actually a Gordon Hayward trade. My issue also comes down to feasibility. And this is what I'm, maybe I'm just traumatized guys. Maybe I'm just traumatized <laughs> because the Mavs fucking lose every single time they try to do something. Oh my God, let me calm down. I think he's going to go to Atlanta. I think Capella is probably the best piece that has been floated for Gordon Hayward. But that being said, it's pretty ironic considering that Dwight Powell was originally a pick by the Celtics. But if they're willing to take him and like some cap filler, which I honestly doubt that they would because it's Danny Ainge and, and he's going to want to get the better side of the deal no matter what. But at the same time, like you just said, Gordon Hayward has a gigantic deal. And so yeah. you have to give... You'd have to trade Tim Hardaway Jr. Like, there's yeah. no way. Well, is uh, isn't Powell making like eleven a year? Roughly, I think so. And then Delon is making nine, right? Nine. Yeah. yeah. So if you package them together, it, that's twenty. And then I feel like you can kind of make up the rest of the ten, probably with the MLE, right? You can even can you absorb that contract in the mm, MLE? No, I don't think you can. I don't think so. Here's the deal, though, with Tim, and the thing that makes this a math-specific thing to look at is in the midst of all the Gordon Hayward news, it was let known that the Celtics were trying to lobby the NBA for extending the opt-in decision deadline to be Thursday afternoon for Hayward, which also lines up with Tim Hardaway Jr.'s opt-in decision deadline. And mm -hmm. that's obviously takes place after the draft. So if the Mavs are lucky enough to draft somebody that the Celtics want, package him with Tim and maybe Dwight, that would be roughly, I would say, maybe in the ballpark of Hayward. Yeah, it, yeah. it would be. You know, when, when the news broke that the Celtics and Hayward were trying to work that out, I was almost convinced that the Mavs were the team that was trying to trade for him. Of course, you know, like you said, Atlanta has been the rumor team. But reading some stuff from Dallas writers, they, they make a good point that Donnie Nelson and Danny Ainge have a very close relationship yeah. and have a history of making deals together. So... I think it would be something to look out for. Not only that, I also think a part a part of it is they don't want to... It's not as much as the Drew Holiday situation because Drew Holiday is genu genuinely an intimidating defender, one of the best defenders in the league. And if you're the Pelicans, you don't want to see him four times a year if you trade him to Dallas. I get that. But in this case, I don't think they want to see Gordon Hayward three times a year either. I, I really doubt that. But I'm surprised that they're not trying to throw around Jalen Brown I feel like this was the offseason where if everything had gone normally I would have expected him almost to be moved oh you think so I, I think that they're trying to clear up a spot for him and obviously Drew Holiday going to the Bucks hurt I think the possibility of that move happening I don't think the Celtics have an urgency to do it but I 
think that if they wanted to move him, they could get a Bradley Beal out of Washington. I think that's more likely than trading Westbrook for Wall at this point. They they could, but the vibe I've gotten with Boston all season, now that the season's played out, and Brown was one of their best two-way yeah. players and one of their most consistent scorers, he averaged about 20 a game, is that he and Tatum are a really great duo that's going to grow together a lot. Those two, Marcus Smart, are probably their core three guys going forward. And if anybody, any of the big contracts apart from Hayward are expendable in terms of Boston, it would be Kemba Walker. I think they weren't they trying to offload him. That news broke as well. Yeah, they were trying to yeah. replace him with with Drew with Holiday. Yeah, you know, I saw a report today that the Celtics are trying to like frantically trying to offload Kemba Walker and Gordon Hayward in an effort to get into the Harden sweepstakes. I don't know uh, how true that is or not. Yeah, uh, I doubt that because that's kind of along the lines of what I was thinking. Like I was thinking that you would have to get rid of Brown if you wanted a guy like James Harden. If you if you wanted one of the guards that has to leave. But at the same time, those guys don't have a ton of value right now. And specifically in Harden's case, he's not going to get traded for months now. Yeah, it's, I mean, the Rockets don't really have much of an urgency to move him, I don't think. The Westbrook uh, one is obviously more urgent. Yeah. That being yeah. said, do you think there's anyone besides the Celtics that the Mavs are kind of trying to make a move with? I think OKC is probably, in my opinion, just based on what I've read, seems to be the most likely trade partner right now. We don't even know for sure if the Mavs and Celtics have talked. I'm sure they have, but I I still don't know how likely that is. Because, you know, like I said, initially when the news broke, I I was pretty convinced that it was going to be the Mavs. A few hours later, it it got said that Hayward wants a a multi-year deal, so any scenario in which Boston trades in would be a sign-and-trade. So then I was like a little bit less certain yeah. whether it would be the Mavs, unless they're willing to go multiple years with Gordon Hayward, which means they actually do view him as a part of their team. And their know. long-term future. I actually yeah. don't mind that. I mean, look at look at Monte Ellis and Steph Curry, for example. Like, obviously, Luka now is better than Steph was at, a, at that parallel moment, obviously. Mm-hmm. But you need that second dude who may not be the Robin that takes Luca to the championship, but is still older, a veteran, has been through the league, and on top of that is a hard worker. And on top of all of those things, even though he is coming off of an injury history, he can still shoot pretty well, man. He's a really good offensive wing when he's healthy. Yeah, statistically speaking, I wouldn't go this far, but... Statistically speaking, Hayward looks like the exact same player he was in Utah with just a reduced usage rate. So I wouldn't make that comparison because I think he has it a lot easier in Boston now that he's not the primary scoring option. Of course. But just because of his situation, he's roughly as effective, I guess, by advanced stats. Well, even when qualifying that, I do think it, it is pretty impressive that your statistics and your analytics can be comparable on a team that is so much better and where you are a tertiary option. Like that takes a lot of skill and knowing when and where to pick your shots, what role you're playing, all of that stuff. Yeah. You know, we always talk about the Mavs needing another creator. um, And I think Gordon Hayward fits that role pretty well. It really comes down to, are you overpaying in a way that it's this is going to be like a toxic poison pill contract that you yeah. have to also get rid of assets for. That's the only thing I'm worried about on a Gordon Hayward deal. I think those are 
pretty much all of the likely moves. I also think that the Nuggets might be trying to do something on draft day. I get that feeling. So we'll see. I don't know if they're trying to move up or something like that. But Yeah, they have a nice, nice package of young talent they can offer. So it'll be interesting to see. A lot of people peg them as the leader in the holiday sweepstakes. Of course, he ended up going to Milwaukee in the trade. But. Well, they have guys that I think they would like to move. Like Gary Harris is worth moving right now for them. Yes. So I, I can see them packaging Gary Harris in their pick to try to move up a little bit, pick somebody with a little more upside. And if they do end up picking a wing, I mean, that could snowball into them not really wanting to pick up Jeremy Grant. Like maybe they think it's a cheaper option. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that could happen tomorrow so i'm looking forward to it it's gonna be wild one last point on the whole potential squeamishness about giving gordon hayward a multi-year deal and how hard it is to trade him as long as he's productive it will be relatively easy to trade him like we just see we see chris paul getting traded around year to year even though he's on a huge ass contract and he's on the wrong side of 30 by quite a margin so hayward absolutely as long as he's a good player he can get traded and if we're being honest, I don't think Gordon Hayward's next contract is going to be in the neighborhood of the $34 million that he's owed this oh, year. Yeah. I think it's going to be significantly lower. Even in a sign-in trade, like a potential sign-in trade, you think, what, it's going to be like 24? Yeah, I would think it would be closer to the 20 number because, like, there's no way that a team trading for, like, a 30-year-old player that's coming off some some pretty bad injuries would want to commit, like, $30 million per year. <laughs> I think the compromise is, like, okay, well – We'll offer you more years, but you're going to take less money. Yeah. Right. And honestly, if you give him a Harrison Barnes contract, I think that's stellar. Yeah. That's automatically an upgrade from last year. Might as well. Yeah. All right, guys. This has been Fossil along with my co-hosts, Rohan and Jay. And we're glad that you got to listen to us talk about the draft and just shoot the shit about trade scenarios and free agency and we hope to see you guys on a better note next time when the Mavs have definitely acquired Giannis Antetokounmpo, James Harden, Bradley Beal, Zach Levine, and whoever the hell else. LeBron James. And don't you forget that Danny Green's podcast sucks. Yes. (laughs) JJ Reddick's podcast is better. It is. He had Dirk on there so it's automatically better. Yeah.